Welcome back to Blowing Off Steam with Wesley Kettle. Today we're going to be talking about Amelia Earhart and the Dancing Plague of 1558. Let's get into it. Please clap. Hello and thank you to all of those who did clap. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to be talking about first the Dancing Plague of 1558 and second the disappearance and life of Amelia Earhart. So before I get to that, I have to mention one thing. This is going to be my second to last episode. Next week will be my last episode. So I just want to mention that 10 is where I'm going to stop. And yeah, I guess let's get into the Dancing Plague of 1558. People in Strasbourg, then a free city within the Holy Roman Empire, which is now in France, danced uncontrollably and apparently unwillingly for days on end. The mania lasted for about two months before ending as mysteriously as it began. In July 1518, a woman whose name was given as Fra, Truffaut, or Trophy, stepped into the street and began dancing. She seemed unable to stop and kept dancing until she collapsed from exhaustion. After resting, she resumed the compulsive frenzied activity. She continued this way for days, and within a week, more than 30 other people were similarly afflicted. They kept going long past the point of injury, and city authorities were alarmed by the ever-increasing number of dancers. The civic and religious leaders theorized that more dancing was the solution, and so they arranged for guild halls for the dancers to gather in musicians to accompany the dancing, and professional dancers to help the afflicted to continue dancing. This only exacerbated the contagion, and as many as 400 people were eventually consumed by the dancing compulsion. A number of them died from their exertions, and in early September the, ma- the mania began to abate. F- the 1518 event was the most thoroughly documented and probably the last of several of such outbreaks in Europe, which took place largely between the 10th and 16th century. The otherwise best known of these took place in 1374, that eruptions spread to several towns along the Rhine River. Contemporary explanations for the Dancing Plague included demonic possession and overheated blood. Investigators in the 20th century now suggest that the afflicted might have consumed bread made from rye flour contaminated with the fungal disease ergot, which is known to produce convulsions. American sociologist Robert Bartholomew posited that the dancers were adherents of a heretical sex, S-E-C-T-S, dancing to attract divine favor. The most widely accepted theory was that of the American medical historian John Waller, who laid out in several papers his reason for believing that the dancing plague was a form of mass psychogenetic disorder. Such outbreaks take place under circumstances of extreme stress and generally take form based on local fears. In the case of the dancing plague of 1518, Waller cited a series of famines in the presence of such diseases such as smallpox and syphilis as the overwhelming stressors affecting residents of Strasbourg. He further maintained that there was a local belief in those who failed to propitiate St. Vitus, patron saint of epileptics and of dancers, would be cursed by being forced to dance. So, that's the the Dancing Plague of 1558. Um, There are other strange, quote-unquote, plagues 
There's one in Africa somewhat recently where the person, sorry, not the person, this village, they had contagious laughter for like a month. It was, it was actually quite strange, but I mean, there's, there's unexplained stuff all the time, so this is one of them. Well, it's explained, but not confirmedly explained. Now, Amelia Mary Earhart was born in Atchison, Kansas on July 24th, 1897. She defied traditional gender roles from a young age. Earhart played basketball, took an auto repair course, and briefly attended college. During World War I, she served as a Red Cross nurse's aide in Toronto, Canada. Earhart began to spend time watching pilots in the Royal Flying Corps, or sorry, in the Royal Flying Corps, training at a local airfield while in Toronto. After the war, she returned to the United States and enrolled at a Columbia University at Columbia University in New York as a pre-med student. Earhart took her first airplane ride in California in December 1920 in famed World War I pilot Frank Hawks and was forever hooked. In January 1921, she started flying lessons with female flight instructor Nita Snook, which, that's an interesting name. To help pay for those lessons, Earhart worked as a filing clerk at the Los Angeles Telephone Company. Later that year, she purchased her first airplane, a second-hand Kenner Airster. She nicknamed the yellow airplane the Canary. Earhart passed her flight test in December 1921, earning a National Aeronautics Association license. Two days later, she participated in her first flight exhibition at the Sierra Aerodrome in Pasadena, California. Earhart set a number of aviation records in her short career. Her first record came in 1922 when she, began the f- when she became the first woman to fly solo above 14,000 feet. In 1932, Earhart became the first woman in second person after Charles Lindbergh to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She left Newfoundland, Canada on May 20th in a red Lockheed Vega 5B and arrived a day later, landing in a cow field near Londonderry, Northern Ireland. Upon returning to the United States, Congress awarded her the Distinguished Flying Cross, a military decoration, quote, for heroism or extraordinary achievement while participating in an aerial flight. She was the first woman to receive the honor. Later that year, Earhart made the first solo, non-stop flight across the United States by a woman. She started in Los Angeles and landed 19 hours later in Newark, New Jersey. She also became the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to the United States mainland in 1935. Earhart consistently worked to promote opportunities for women in aviation. In 1929, after placing third in the All-Women's Air Derby, the first transcontinental air race for women, Earhart helped to form the 99s, an international organization for the advancement of female pilots. She became the first president of the Organization of Licensed Pilots, which still exists today and represents women flyers from 44 countries. On June 1, 1937, Amelia Earhart took off from Oakland, California on an eastbound flight around the world. It was her second attempt to become the first pilot ever to circumnavigate the globe. She flew a twin-engine Lockheed 10E Electra and was then accompanied on the flight by navigator Fred Noonan. They flew to Miami, then down to South America, across the Atlantic to Africa, then to East India and Southeast Asia. 
the pair reached Ley, New Guinea on June 29th. When they reached Ley, they already had flown 22,000 miles. They had 7,000 miles more to go before reaching Oakland. Earhart and Noonan departed Ley for a tiny Howland Island, their next refueling stop, on July 2nd. It was the first time Earhart was seen alive. Sorry, not the first time. It was the last time Earhart was seen alive. She and Noonan lost radio contact with the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Itasca, anchored off the coast of Howland Island, and disappeared en route. Frank, President Franklin D. Roosevelt auth- authorized a massive two-week, two-week search for the pair, but they were never found. On July 19, 1937, Earhart and Noonan were declared lost at sea. Scholars and aviation enthusiasts have proposed many theories about what happened to Amelia Earhart. The first official position from the U.S. government is that Earhart and Noonan crashed into the Pacific Ocean, but there are numerous theories regarding their disappearance. The Crash and Sink Theory According to the Crash and Sink Theory, Earhart's plane ran out of gas while she searched for Howland Island, and she crashed into the open ocean somewhere in the vicinity of the island. Several expeditions over the past 15 years have attempted to locate the plane's wreckage on the seafloor near Howland. High-tech sonar and deep-sea robots have failed to yield clues about the Electra's crash site. The Gardner Island Hypothesis The International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, TIGAR, T-I-G-H-A-R, TIGAR, postulates that Earhart and Noonan veered off course from Howland Island and landed instead some 350 miles to the southwest on Gardner Island, now called Nikumaroro in the Republic of Kiribati. The island was uninhabited at the time. A week after Earhart's disappearance, Navy planes flew over the island. They noted recent signs of habitation but found no evidence of an airplane. Tigger believes that Earhart and perhaps Noonan may have survived for days or even weeks on the island as castaways before dying there. Since 1988, several Tigger expeditions to the island have turned up artifacts and anecdotal evidence in support of this hypothesis. Some of the artifacts include a piece of plexiglass that may have come from the Electra's window and a woman's shoe dating back to the 1930s, improvised tools, a woman's cosmetic jars from the 1930s, and bones that appear to be part of a human finger. In June 2017, a Tigger-led expedition arrived in Nukumaroro with four forensically trained bone-sniffing border collies to search the island for any skeletal remains of Earhart or Noonan. There are numerous conspiracy theories about Earhart's disappearance. One theory posits that Earhart and Noonan were captured and executed by the Japanese. Another theory claims that the pair served as spies for the Roosevelt administration and assumed new identities upon returning to the United States. I appreciate you listening to our episode about the Dancing Plague of 1518 and the mysterious disappearance of Amelia Earhart. We hope to see you next week on our episode about Oak Island. Thank you.